Welcome back to another weekly edition of Down to the Wire, again alongside Nolan Thode, my NHL analyst. And to start here, we're going to get right into the news of, you know, the passing of Walter Gretzky, who was the father of, uh, you know, basically Canada and hockey, but not only that, but the father of the great one, Wayne Gretzky. And to hear that news, Wednesday night, actually, it was uh, near the end of the second period of the Toronto Maple Leafs and Vancouver Canucks game. Uh, to hear that news is so so sad and you know he died at age 82 because of Parkinson's and it's just you know the worst news you want to receive. No exactly I mean he he was you know the hockey dad for Wayne Gretzky the greatest player of all time but you know just the ultimate hockey dad in general like you said you know the hockey dad of Canada you know he he was a hockey dad who you know dedicated his life to the game you know he 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 contributed you know two NHL players you know the other brother didn't do as much as Wayne did however you know he raised his sons well and even you know when they retired after their careers he, he just kept you know giving back to the community I had an experience you know I actually got to meet him luckily you know before his passing just a great guy not a bad bone in his body and you know just someone that you know people should be able to look up to as just you know a model citizen. And that is a common theme, whether it's throughout you here in the news coverage or just, you know, with your buddies. It seemed as though everyone knew who Walter Gretzky was. Everyone had a story to share. I know personally, you know, he came to Charles R. Bodwin, our elementary school here, Burlington, uh, both of us, Nolan and I. I don't mm-hmm. remember too much of that. But, uh, you know, Nolan, if you have uh, a separate story or, or anything, you know, it's just it was so unexpected in a way. And, you know, it hit the hockey community so hard. Yeah, you know, it just adds to the list of, you know, within this last year, you know, how how bad things have really been in the world. You know, I I do remember him coming to our school and he was here. He was there to promote some sort of charity. And I remember all the questions he got, you know, were about Wayne and hockey, you know, bunch of bunch of elementary school kids didn't care too much about the charity. But, you know, he tried his best to answer every question, you know, and give a good answer. So, you know, great guy and nothing bad to say. Uh, you know, in the second uh, passing of Chris Schultz there, Thursday morning, actually, you know, he was from our community here in Burlington, Ontario. And, you know, he played for America's team, the Dallas Cowboys, before going to the CFL and playing for the Toronto Argonauts. And, you know, as a fan of the CFL, I know you are as well. It sucks. You know, we didn't get a CFL season in 2020. And I'm hoping that with the news of more vaccination uh, vaccinations on the way here in Canada, that, you know, we will see a CFL season in 2021. But, uh, you know, it sucks to see a CFL and TSN anchor gone. So uh, soon, you know, he died at the age of 61 because of a heart attack. And, you know, I actually had the goal of interviewing him and because I know he's from Burlington and I know, uh, you you know, I I love the CFL. I love how different it is from the NFL and what I read from online about Chris Schultz is that he loved analyzing the game and he loved talking about it. Yeah, you know, it, it was just such an unfortunate, you know, 24 hours. I go to bed thinking about Walter and I wake up to the news of Chris Schultz just you know, just in general, terrible. Um, For me personally, you know, I met Walter, I said before, but Chris Schultz, I remember it was in grade 10 and I went out, I went out to lunch to the Tim Hortons by our school. And um, I just remember I looked across the the store and 
I see him sitting, you know, in, in, in my high school, you know, just in that area. And I looked at him and kind of waited for him to, you know, look at me and he looked at me and I pointed at him and I said, you wouldn't happen to be Chris Schultz, would you? Just cause he, you know, just super recognizable, this big dude, you know, abnormally large football player sitting in Tim Hortons and him and I had a conversation just talking about the tie cats, you know, for maybe five, 10 minutes. And he was just a great guy. So, you know, super unfortunate and just the sports world losing two big icons in my opinion. And that story goes to show just how uh, close knit the sports community is because of how many players or analysts live in the same neighborhood as you. And uh, you know, it goes to show that uh, you never know who you're going to meet in public. Yeah, no, seeing him on TV, seeing him on, you know, CFL on TSN, you know, classic, just one of the, you know, top analysts, a guy you're going to listen to his opinion, but, you know, just seeing him in the Tim Hortons, it was just crazy. Just, you know, he's just a part of society as much as we are, but, uh, you know, I was a little starstruck for me, but, you know, great memory. Moving on to our weekly news here, starting off with Monday, uh, you know, I believe, and as they're showing throughout the week, that Ottawa is certainly not a team to mess around with. Uh, we saw them come back uh, down 5-1 against Toronto, but not only that, but I feel like Calgary is kind of light years better than them, and they can hang at the, you know, they can hang with teams at the top. We saw them uh, beat Montreal three times now. They've shown great fight against uh, the Leafs, you know, the Habs, the Flames, uh, for even for the structure of their team as a rebuilding team, so to speak. Yeah, you know, people didn't expect them to, you know, make the playoffs, but people did expect them to be at the bottom of the standings and, you know, just the way things are that they're kind of chilling there as well. However, I think, you know, they're, they're better than their record may show just, you know, the games that they have been in, you know, and the games that they do win, they just look like, you know, a solid competitive team, uh, you know, just a bunch of youth kind of youth movement, giving, you know, the, the youth all the time to play, you know, the time on ice for all these, you know, guys up and coming, you know, maybe if they were on another roster, they'd have to fight more for their minutes. But, you know, it's just kind of working and on the night where things click. You know, guys like Drake Batherson, Brady Kachuk, um, Tim Stutzla, you know, they can really make an impact offensively. And, you know, they're an exciting team to watch. You mentioned Drake Batherson there. Well, on Monday, actually, that was his first career multi-point game for Drake Batherson. And, you know, I find that very interesting and fun to, uh, you know, acknowledge that there is a youth movement coming up in Ottawa. Yeah, exactly. And it's really promising, you know, they're going to be bad for maybe a couple more years. However, you know, when you got talent like this who are, you know, kind of proving themselves in the NHL, once this team starts to get a little bit more complete, you know, the Senators, you know, they might, you know, the rebuild could be a good thing and they're going to be coming out of it, you know, being able to go back to, you know, where they were in 2017. Alex Nedeljkovic, the third goalie, actually, for Carolina. I thought he offered up solid uh, goaltending as the Canes did beat the Panthers 3-2 in overtime on Monday night. Uh, you know, during that game, 1.97 goals against average and a 9.57 save percentage. Uh, you know, especially from a third goalie, and actually that's the requirement for teams now, uh, you know, during the season, they have to uh, carry three goalies. That's a solid performance because you don't see the net very much when you're doing first team reps because uh, you're basically on the taxi squad for the whole season. And to have him be a Florida Panthers team, which has proved to me that they are legit, that is, you know, it, it seems like Carolina has good depth in goalie uh, with Peter Morazic, Jim Reimer, 
and now Alex Nedeljkovic, who's making a name for himself. Yeah, Nedeljkovic, he, he, you know, for the last couple of years has been within the system, you know, solid in the AHL, kind of never really broke onto the scene too much. Um, but fortunately for him, you know, Peter Mrazek does go down with an injury earlier this season and he's able to come in and, you know, sort of have a split start. I think it'll be interesting between, you know, Nedeljkovic and Reimer, you know, when Mrazek eventually does come back, who becomes that you know, second goalie, or maybe they even split starts with Mrazek, uh, you know, this win against the Panthers, but he, he shut out the Tampa Bay Lightning a couple of weeks ago. He, he's been super solid and, you know, it's just exciting to see. And interesting enough, he was on waivers earlier this season. So a lot of teams, a lot of GMs are probably, uh, you know, hitting their head against the table just that they didn't, you know, make, take a gamble on it. Well, waivers is actually an interesting point there because I'm seeing a lot of uh, veterans or even, you know, good young players, uh, Anaheim in specific, that uh, Adam Henrique was on waivers. Uh, I think because of his salary and what he, and you know, what he's contributed to this year, that's a reason why teams passed up on him. But as well as um, Brendan Gooley, uh, Caden Gooley's brother, uh, Caden Gooley got drafted to the Montreal Canadiens. And mm-hmm. I thought it would, it, I thought it would be hilarious if Montreal picked up Gooley from Anaheim, but it's just weird to see that, you know, it's goalies going on waivers, players that can really make a difference in their lineup had they been claimed. Yeah. I think maybe just GMs feel a little bit more secure with, you know, all the quarantining rules and such when going to another team, I feel like, you know, the, the waiver class that we've gotten this season has actually, you know, had some actual talent versus, you know, in a regular year, you know, it's just the occasional scrub that gets sent there. You mentioned shutouts as well by uh, Nadelkovic, if I'm not mistaken, which is a good point to build off of here because Thatcher Demko recorded his first career regular season shutout against the top tier Jets, who are second in the North Division right now, uh, a 3 nothing win. And that really goes to show you that like, like I've been mentioning, Demko needs to play, you know, an A an A to an A-plus game, you know, nine times out of ten if the Canucks want to get back into this race. And throughout the week, you know, we've seen the Canucks rely heavily on Demko. And I think they're at the stage where they have to uh, be, um, you know, ride the hot hand, essentially, because their playoff lives are hanging by a thread. Yeah, you know, I think playoffs is going to be tough for the Canucks to squeak in. However, if you're looking at any positive for this season, it is, you know, the fact that Demko has, you know, kind of slowly but surely established himself as, you know, pretty much an elite starter to this point. You know, his his numbers back it up. Uh, maybe, you know, a little more consistency is what fans are looking for. However, you know, with Braden Holpe, I think, you know, he's the one who's expendable. And I think Demko is the guy you're going to be looking to build off of on the back end for the future. And it's interesting to think about because we could have Braden Holpe, the 2018 Stanley Cup champion, who looked phenomenal in Washington, be exposed to Seattle in the expansion draft this summer. Yeah, and at that point, I think he'd only have one year left on his deal, so it'd be surprising to see, you know, uh, uh, Seattle not taking a chance on him, given I'm not sure who else would be exposed by the Canucks. I think one of the things that the Leafs are doing really well and that more teams should do is that they're doing a really uh, good job of activating their D on the back end. You know, we see Riley jumping in the rush. Justin Hall is jumping in the rush. They're, con- they're contributing to the offense. They're creating offense not only for themselves, but for the line that's on the ice, for the whole team in general. And I think that, uh, especially like the Montreal Canadiens who have 
old legs you can mention. You know, Edmondson's, I, I think, like 30, 33. Sherrod and Weber are around 35, 37, uh, you know, respectively. And, you know, with the NHL being a young man's league, we're going to see, I think we're going to see more offensive defensemen in the future being activated to contribute to the um, offense. Yeah, no, exactly. You know, you point to the Leafs, and I think, you know, it's just the the results of their team. They kind of just have, you know, an exciting offensively kind of like oriented focus. You know, now they've kind of structured their defense a little bit more. However, you know, there's just so much talent on the ice that, you know, when Morgan Riley and Justin Hall decide to jump up on the rush, they're just so dangerous. You know, the Leafs, if you watch a full game, there's going to be one or two times where, you know, for for maybe even more than a minute, they're just controlling play in the offensive end. Doesn't even have to be on a power play. It could be five on five, and it feels like the Leafs are on a power play. And a lot of that does contribute to their D being able to, you know, be step in there and you know contribute as well. As much as I hate the Toronto Maple Leafs, they are one of the more fun teams to watch because uh, they're just their young core. They, you know, they sucked for so long. So it's definitely not surprising to see them do well in a division that, uh, you know, they should be dominating in, but they are just so fun to watch, especially with, you know, I think Edmonton's another team that's fun to watch. No. Yeah. Both those teams that you mentioned are extremely fun to watch, you know, McDavid, Matthews, Marner, Dreisaitl, those will contribute, but you know, just overall, you know, when, when a team kind of has those star players, you know, the, the depth pieces want to be able to make their impact as well. Uh, just, you know, throughout the lineup, they're, they're really fun teams to watch. And, you know, as we've seen uh, on Monday night, actually, Mark Stone had five assists in a comeback win against the Minnesota Wild. And, you know, I think that one theme that we're seeing throughout this season is not the COVID. You know, that's not what I'm thinking. But I'm thinking, you know, no lead is safe. You have to play a full 60 minutes. This is like playoff hockey before playoff hockey. Uh, you know, we're seeing leads blown left, right, and center. I mean, look, the Colorado Avalanche, everyone's hyping them up. They just blew a lead to the Anaheim Ducks on, on, on Sunday night, I'm pretty sure, or Saturday night, whatever it was. The Anaheim Ducks are bums. They're garbage. They were on an eight-game losing streak before that win. They could have put them to nine. And we're not talking about Dallas Aikens getting fired or whatever. Like, this season is insane. And I'm actually kind of, you know, I'm always tuning in to the late games. So I, I'm, I'm kind of fired up uh, that every lead, you know, no lead is safe. Yeah, no, it has been a great season in just terms of the gameplay. And I think a lot of that is contributed to the fact that the divisions, you know, you're not playing every single team in the NHL. You're only playing, you know, six or seven other teams. And just the competitive nature, it, it really is showing on the ice. And, you know, a full 60 minutes, like you said, you know, every team needs to be able to play it. And as you mentioned with Mark Stone, five assists, you know, that Vegas team, you know, they can start off slow. Just, you know, they, they do play a good 60 minutes, though, and it's going to be hard to beat that team, you know, late in the season when, when things matter more. On Tuesday, uh, Sidney Crosby actually landed on the COVID-19 list. Uh, this doesn't mean he contracted the virus. It means he could have been around it, uh, could have been close contact with someone who tested positive. Nonetheless, that's just another superstar that landed on the league. Others, such as, uh, you know, Ovi and McDavid. But, you know, that didn't really matter because the Pens won 5-2 against their rivals, the Philadelphia Flyers. And I think this Pittsburgh team is is you know looking really good they have really good depth scoring their defense you know is kind of mediocre but um you know i think they've been playing really well 
Yeah, I think Pittsburgh's the kind of team where, you know, even though they do have this kind of core leadership group, you know, with Crosby, Malkin, Latang, even when one of those pieces goes down, you know, the rest of the guys are able to step up. You know, they're kind of showing their age. Obviously, this wasn't an injury with, uh, you know, just him going because of protocols. But, yeah, it's just kind of next man up. And, you know, they're able to step up in his presence and get a big divisional win. You know, Carey Price starting against Ottawa, when I first, you know, read that uh, to you, it, it doesn't sound anything uh, of importance, but this was actually the first important decision for Dominique Ducharme since they had time off between uh, Saturdays and then this was on Tuesday. Um, so I think, you know, this was kind of a given uh, for Ducharme because I don't think he wants to go on record for uh, essentially benching Price. You know, he may have, uh, you know, kind of, you uh, said to the media, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go with Allen because of recent games, like analytics and wh whatever and whatnot. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think Ducharme would want the stress from the Montreal media to say, like, oh, yeah, I'm starting Allen over Price. Uh, as a Habs fan, I think Price, nine times out of ten, gives the team the best chance to win. I, I, I know that, you know, advanced analytics and stats-wise, Price is having a bad year. And, yes, that's true. And Allen is outplaying Carey Price. But – this is Carey Price. I mean, I explained last episode that the reason the NHL and NHLPA didn't go to a best of three series in the playing round was because of Carey Price. Um, so, you know, the name still holds a lot of weight. Uh, and actually, going off that pun, that is a pun because Stephen Waite got fired that night after Price stopped 26 out of 27 shots, uh, which is definitely an odd firing. Uh, you know, I want to hear what you think about that. Yeah, I think, you know, just in terms of price, you and I both talked last week about how, you know, even though the numbers may not be there this season, he still is, you know, night in, night out, just a solid goalie, you know, one of the best in the league. And he kind of proved it here. Um, you know, we talked earlier in this episode about how Ottawa is exciting. However, you know, they're, they're sort of team if you needed a confidence boost. Uh, the Oilers played Stuart Skinner, his first career win against Ottawa earlier this year. Um, so the goaltending might be irrelevant. However, you know, Price looks super solid in that game. And it was interesting to see the goalie coach get fired. Um, I'm not too sure about, you know, the coaching staff and, you know, any, any you know, locker room issues with that. But, you know, it was an interesting move. I got I to gotta agree with you because usually you don't get fired after a win, let alone your goalie only allowed one goal. I mean, the final score, I think, was 3-1 or 2-1, something like that. Uh, the, you know, the replacement for Stefan Waite is Sean Burke, who actually was an NHL goalie. Um, and actually, as we saw on Saturday, Price got rid of the, got rid of the red pads. And you do not know how much this makes me happy. Like, I am super pumped that Price got rid of those, uh, you know, solid red pads because I really think that was the main problem. And, you know, as we saw, the Jets only scored one goal. The Habs scored seven. So is it a coincidence? We'll see. Yeah, I don't know. You, you were going off last week about the red pads and, you know, he, he went out there and proved you right. Maybe maybe he watched the uh, Down to the Wire episode. Joy Dacord, Paycash guest, always got to feature him in the news. He made his second career start that night. So it was Dacord versus Price. And, you know, I think he played very solid. He was tracking the puck well. He had great positioning in the crease. And to only allow, uh, you know, I guess two goals. I don't know if one was an empty net. It could have been three in your second career game against, you know, a person like Price, like that must give you a huge confidence boost. 
No, exactly. And I think, you know, in terms of goalies, uh, especially the young ones breaking onto the scene, I think confidence is a big thing. If they come in their first couple games, get shelled, you know, that could really, you know, set them back and potentially stop them from, you know, ever playing in the NHL again. So I think, you know, even though maybe he's not winning these games, I think he's looking, you know, super solid and slowly gaining the confidence to, you know, be, you know, starting more than two games. And I think, you know, just just even though he was a podcast uh, guest, you know, it's just nice to see regardless. And really the only bright spot for the Sabres this far, thus far in the season is Dylan Cousins having his first career NHL fight. Uh, that's really been the talk of the town because that has been a tire fire uh, for 10 years now. And, you know, really uh, it's good to see that Cousins can chuck him. But, uh, you know, it's weird to see because I thought that Cousins fighting would kind of pump up the team, give them a little more energy. But I was wrong as the Sabres didn't win that game and they haven't won since. Yeah, uh, the workhorse from Whitehorse is what the, you know, Sabres fan has coined him. And, you know, just contributing, you know, everywhere on the ice, he's been able to, you know, get a couple points, you know, now getting in a fight. I feel like he's just, you know, growing into, you know, potentially a young star in this league, which could be a super solid piece for the Sabres moving forward. And, you know, I think that we, I think one of the problems with Dallas is still their goals for per game. I'm just looking at it right now as we're speaking and, you know, their goals for per game, they're 2.69. And, you know, for them to make the playoffs, I think their last or second last in the central division, it seems like Detroit and Dallas are fighting for the bottom there. Uh, for they have to be hovering around three goals for per game or above three because uh, right now in the central, I think the cutoff right there is 27 points. And I think Dallas is at 17 or 18. So they need to get hot and they need to get hot quickly. And in a condensed schedule, that can, that can do wonders for you. If you go on a quick five-game winning streak, a quick six-game, win five of six, win four or five, and you score, you know, I guess more than three goals per game, that, that can do wonders for your team. Yeah, like I'll, I'll tie this to the Penguins, you know, how when they have a guy go down, they're able to step up. I feel like Dallas, you know, isn't able to do that. You know, they've been missing Sagan all season and it's just kind of really showed, you know, a lack of intensity on offense, you know, just a, a lack of speed. I always talk about Dallas isn't the fastest team, but it's just really tough for them to generate anything. As expected, Yarmo Kekalainen gave the vote of confidence to John Tortorella. Nothing really too surprising there. That's kind of just the same old, same old, I feel like. Uh, that's kind of like the standard uh, around the league is when a coach comes under fire, when there's rumors surrounding that coach, the GM just steps in and be like, yeah, calm down, media. Uh, you know, the coach has got it. I trust the coach. Uh, kind of just the same thing that we saw from Vancouver. Yeah, no, nice to see, you know, just the confidence between GM and coach. Uh, just, you know, really helps everyone in the organization know when they're really not at a state of panic uh, there in Columbus. And, you know, on Wednesday, I, I, I put this down in the notes, but I think that age is a myth. And uh, we look at Mike Smith, uh, who's, you know, 38 years old. You think that his play would decline, but he's actually, is he, he's six and two or six and one on the season, right? Uh uh either seven and two or seven and one i'm not sure if he got the loss for one of those games but he, he did win on saturday again against the uh flames so yeah exactly and you know he's right. having a great season so far he came off the ir to start the season so you would kind of think that uh you know there would be the scare of having a setback but clearly not he has been playing like the arizona mike smith 
Yeah, you know, he, he had some injury issue at the start of the season. They threw him on the long-term injury reserve, and Koskinen made every single start except one. Uh, and it's just kind of been the exact opposite since he's come back. Uh, he, he's been able to start a lot, give Koskinen, you know, a much-needed break. And, you know, I think they're going to start shifting more towards, uh, you know, a tandem just in every other start. But Smith's just been hot right now, and we're giving him the, the keys to the net most and every night. Flurry is having a Vesna Trophy season uh, at age 36. So clearly, you know, age for goalies is a myth. And, uh, you know, this could be one bad season. I'll relate it back to Carey Price, 33 years old. Who knows what he'll be like in three years or even in four years. Uh, it's just interesting to see that uh, these goalies who are so old, who we grew up with, are having great success. Yeah, no, Marc-Andre Fleury, you know, the goalies, they're playing a position where they're required, you know, even though they're not moving, you know, just along the ice much, they got to they gotta be super flexible. And I think it helps keep them in shape. And at age 36, they're able to keep doing, you know, what they do best. And I'm thinking that uh, this could be just a, a random thought, but I think that Mike Smith's success could be related to how he has Dave Tippett as a coach again. And, you know, if you remember, Dave Tippett was the coach back in Arizona when Mike Smith was there. Yeah, I think, you know, Mike Smith, Arizona, most fans would point that to be the prime of his career. He was a super solid goalie then, and, you know, David Tippett was the coach. So, you know, clearly, you know, they have some sort of chemistry and just a, a level of trust between the two, and it's nice to see. Zdeno Chara returned to Boston for the first time since signing with the Capitals in the offseason. And I know for me, it's definitely a weird sighting not, not seeing uh, Chara in the spoke to be uniform anymore. Because uh, he's been such a mainstay there. Uh, he did play for the Islanders in Ottawa, uh, you know, before reaching Boston. But uh, Boston is where he's most known for. And it, it, it sucks to see that, uh, you know, fans weren't in the stands at the time. But I know that I think um, TD Garden has fans now. But anyway, uh, hopefully when arenas more open up, uh, there could be a proper tribute uh, that's given to these players that return after being with one team for so long. Exactly. You know, just especially with us growing up, we only can really picture Zidane Chara as a Bruin. Uh, you know, he was the captain when they, cup, when they won the cup in 2011, and he's been a part of their team through their cup runs in 13 and uh, 2019. Uh, and last year, if you had told me that, you know, Chara wouldn't have been playing for Boston this season, I would have thought, you know, he, he retired. Uh, but it was a shock uh, when he did ultimately go to Washington, and it was just weird to see him playing against, uh, playing against the Bees. The Toronto Maple Leafs kept the Edmonton Stars, such as McDavid and Dreisaitl, uh, for pointless uh, for three straight games there as they completed the sweep. And that's a tough challenge to do. Uh, it's tough to keep McDavid and Dreisaitl off the score sheet let for one game, but let alone three straight games. Yeah, I think, you know, every team has a tough stretch. And I think, you know, the Oilers just you know, had it at a bad time playing against Toronto, you know, living in Toronto, it sucks because it's all I saw for a couple of days on my social media is, you know, how bad the Oilers were. Uh, I, I wasn't freaking out too much. Obviously it's, 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 it sucks to, you know, not be able to score for three games. Uh, but I do think, you know, maybe at this point in the season, you know, it doesn't kill our record enough where, you know, now we're looking on the outside in, we're still in the playoffs. And I think, you know, that three game stretch is going to be, you know, something that we look at, you know, for the rest of the season kind of to point to as like a, a low point and be able to build off of it. Because I think there was a lot of frustration from the guys. And, uh, you know, we'll get to it on Saturday. But I, I really like the game that the Oilers played on Saturday. 
Each of Toronto's goalies picked up a series, Frederick Anderson, Jack Campbell, and Michael Hutchinson. And I really thought that I would see McDavid torch Hutchinson, but I was wrong. I didn't expect Hutchinson to uh, – he, he had a, a shutout, I believe. Um, but just what a crazy performance that was. And actually, thank God for Hutch because I was playing McDavid in fantasy last week. So that would have been a yikes, uh, to say the least. Yeah, Hutchinson's been actually kind of strange this year. And it just points to the fact that, you know, goalies are super unpredictable no matter what age or, you know, how long they've been in the league or how elite they are. You know, any given night, someone can get shelled. Any given night, someone can get a shutout. It's it's crazy league. Zach Parise got scratched for wanting to give Marcus Foligno the hat trick on Tuesday. And, uh, you know, the gist of the situation basically was that, you know, Minnesota choked the lead and uh, Parise, uh, you know, Felino never had a hat trick. So, you know, they were talking on the bench and, you know, Parise wanted the kid, you know, to have a hat trick. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they didn't get the hat trick. Next thing you know, it's in the back of your net tie game. You know, then, you know, you guys lose in overtime. Yeah. So this was actually the first time that Zach Parise was scratched with Minnesota. And he's actually been... Uh, Parise only scratched twice in his career, once with New Jersey and once with Minnesota. Yeah, you know, just he was trying to make the right play by giving, you know, Felino the hat trick, just being a good guy. However, you know, when it comes back to bite you, I think, you know, both the wild management and Parise realized that, you know, it wasn't a good look. And, you know, he took it very well. He went out to the media and kind of just owned up to, you know, everything that happened and kind of, you know, took his healthy scratching as maybe a little bit, little bit of a lesson learned. And he'll move forward from it. On Thursday, Tampa Bay announced that they are allowing fans March 13th. And, you know, that's really good to see another arena open up its uh, doors for fans to come in. And actually, the Raptors announced today that they're going to start allowing fans. So, you know, it's good to see that uh, more than half of the league is allowing fans in the stands. Yeah, it is really nice. Just, you know, a slow progression to, you know, where we once were. And I think it's just a positive thing for the league. Joe Thorne and Jason Spezza are both making minimum salary. That's 700K. And they're actually offering superb hockey skills and IQ. I think the vision on Thorne is, is amazing. You know, we go back to his San Jose days. He's making plays that I never thought he would at the age of 41. This goes back to my point about how age is a myth. Uh, you know, Jason Spezza, who's like 39, he's, you know, fake clapping it, sniping it on Mike Smith. Like, who are these people? Yeah, I know. It's so interesting to see. I think, you know, with age, not maybe with goalies, but just players, I think what they lose as they get older is, you know, their speed and just kind of, you know, their health starts to fade away as well. However, you know, these were once, you know, superstar players, I think, Joe Thornton and Jason Spezza both. Uh, and I think, you know, on any given night, they can kind of just, you know, turn back the clock 10, 10 or 15 years and, you know, make the play that reminds, the, you know, the older fans of, you know, the, their younger days. One of the best goalies in the game currently is Andre Vasilevsky. And he set the record for the longest shutout streak in Tampa Bay Lightning history. He passed John Graham's streak of 202 minutes and 46 seconds from the 2005 2006 season and you know I thought we see Vasilevsky make save after save and it's 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 good that he got the ring he deserved in the 2020 uh, playoffs there it sucks the way that happened but uh, you know Vasilevsky is 
such a star to watch. I mean, Tampa Bay is so stacked on their forward core, on their defense. Their goalie can win night and night out. They can steal games. I can't see how they uh, get eliminated from the playoffs. They could go back to back. Not only, not only that, they're doing this without Kucherov. So imagine this times with Kucherov. Like that's that's insane. Exactly. You know, I think the Tampa Bay Lightning are just super impressive, you know, and, and all the credit, in my opinion, you know, not all the credit, but just Vasilevsky, I think, you know, this year, especially is starting to get the respect he actually deserves, you know, being a goalie on a stacked team, you know, fans are just going to point to the fact that, you know, y- you have a lot to play behind. Uh, but I do think, you know, this season Vasilevsky has been incredible and, you know, proving himself as an elite goalie where some casual fans would still think that he's just, you know, getting these numbers as a result of playing for the Lightning. Uh, but whereas I do think Vasilevsky is one of the top attendees in the league. So it's it was 228 plus minutes since Vasilevsky allowed a goal. And it was actually 11 periods that translates into 11 periods. And I mentioned that Flurry's having a Vezina season and, you know, right there with him is Vasilevsky. However, Vasilevsky leads the league in wins and Flurry uh, only leads the league in goals against average and save percentage and I think oh and shutouts I should mention that Flurry leads the league in shutouts so it's three to one essentially so take that for what you wish um for what you believe in but I think Flurry deserves the Vesna in my opinion yeah I think you know both of them are great candidates and say what you will but you know as as the rest of the season sort of plays out I think we'll have a more clear picture for who's going to get the award the Pittsburgh Penguins social media team did a big mistake, big oopsie, as they were caught photoshopping masks onto fans. Uh, this was trending on Twitter, and you know I had to go through a news article to really see the difference. But uh, you know it's crazy to me that uh, Pittsburgh allowed fans this week, and they had to uh, post something like this, uh, photoshopping masks onto fans. It's not a good look for the franchise. Definitely paints a black eye. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, people wear their masks to games, wear it properly, uh, just follow all the protocols. No, exactly. Just not a great week in terms of, you know, everything COVID related for the Penguins. First, their captain going on the reserve list. And then, you know, this incident, you know, they just kind of got to get their stuff together and just, yeah, like you said, not a good look for them. First career hat trick for Dylan Dubé in a 7-1 win over Ottawa. Uh, you know, I mentioned that, um, you know, with Ottawa, they're a young team. You mentioned that. I mentioned, you know, Joy Decord, definitely exciting part of the future for them. And, you know, Decord did come in that game in relief of Matt Murray. And, you know, it's good for Dubé to finally get the first career hat trick out of the way. You know, it's coming for uh, a lot of players on that Flames team. Uh, you know, and I think that Dubé was, uh, it was going to happen this season, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, Dylan Dubé has been, you know, a young, exciting player, captain of Team Canada, I believe, a couple seasons ago in the World Juniors. So, you know, you and I are both used to seeing him, and it's just nice to see him do at an NHL level. Uh, the Flames and the Senators, just such a strange series, you know. It was kind of like, you know, they had a close game last night, ended up going to a shootout. But other than that, it was a lot of, you know, Uh, 4-1, 7-1, just these crazy blowout games, and it was going both ways. The Leafs started to look human-like, at least uh, over the weekend, as they played the Vancouver Canucks on Thursday. Jake Vertanen had a multi-goal game. He kind of sniped one uh, far side. It was along the goal line, and that was a crazy goal. Uh, But, you know, Thatcher Demko, another terrific performance against the top team in the North Division. And, you know, he's really, like you mentioned, cementing his 
career, his early career uh, to be the Canucks number one starter. Yeah. And they're giving him confidence. You know, he, he's been starting the bulk of games over the last month and he's been doing, you know, good things. Uh, the Canucks earlier this season, when they did play the Leafs, that was probably the low point of their season. Uh, they, they got kind of blown out two games in a row. Spezza getting a hat trick. So I think, you know, for Canucks fans and for the team, it's, it's, it's great to get this win. On Friday, Brent Seabrook, another player who we grew up with, retired due to injury. He's a three-time Stanley Cup champion, uh, you know, a core member of that Blackhawks dynasty. And it sucks that this is the way to go out. I would have liked to see uh, Seabs play another uh, game before he retired for sure. Yeah, and it was kind of sudden, you know, last year going into the bubble, he announced that, you know, he wasn't going to play for the Blackhawks in the bubble in the playoffs. Um, and, you know, this season he hasn't been able to get on the ice. And, you know, now it's coming out that it's due to injury. And ultimately the decision he makes is to retire. And, you know, we've seen it, you know, Corey Crawford, Brent Seabrook, just a couple guys, you know, they're kind of seeing their own age and, you know, making the conscious decision what they think's best for themselves. Seabrook owns the most owns the, owns the record for the most playoff goals by defenseman in a Blackhawks history with 20. And, you know, since Seabrook has retired, it seems like that core there for the Blackhawks is going to fall like dominoes. Next, it's probably going to be Duncan Keith. And, you know, we just got to enjoy it. Whoever, maybe it'll be Jonathan Taves because he's out with health injury. He's out with a health injury right now. So, you know, I, I'm, we just got to hope that, you know, we see this Blackhawks, Blackhawks core play for one last time before they do go out into retirement. No, exactly. A team that caused me so much, you know, trauma throughout the 2010s. You know, it's never fun to see a team win the cup three times, uh, give someone else a chance. But I, I do want to be able to see Jonathan Taves step out on the ice and play another game for the Blackhawks 100%. And I think that will be one of the last dynasties we'll see. I think uh, teams, you know, there's more parity in the league. It's a lot more even balanced uh, than it was in the early 2010s. And I think the Blackhawks are going to be the last sort of dynasty we'll see. Um, you know, and, and that depends on how you look at uh, dynasty. I think three cups in six years, you know, kind of fits the term dynasty, uh, in my opinion. But I think that, you know, we won't see teams dominate. I think, you know, the cup's going to be flipping and flopping between, uh, you know, all the 31 soon to be 32 teams in the future. Yeah, you know, a modern day dynasty, three cups in six years, you know, it's not, it's not, you know, four straight like the Oilers and Islanders. Uh, Oilers never won four straight, but, you know, the Islanders did win four straight. And that was their kind of dynasty. But it just show, goes to show how tough it is to win a cup. Even the best of teams like the Blackhawks, you know, could only do three and six. The Calgary Flames fired Jeff Ward and hired Daryl Sutter, who is a two-time Stanley Cup champion. But his uh, coaching mindset is very defensive. Uh, that's what I read from Twitter. And, you know, I'll take that opinion and, uh, you know, I'll kind of use it because uh, as a East Coast fan here, I'd never really watched the Kings really, you know, intently. Um, I know that Daryl Sutter is such a successful coach. This is his second tenure with the, um, the Calgary Flames there. But apparently during his first tenure, he was part GM. So he was like part coach, part GM. And I think the GM stuff is really bad. So we'll push that to the side. Because, you know, yeah. that's irrelevant. And, you know, I think this is a good move for Calgary. And I didn't think that Sutter would be back behind the bench, uh, I guess, so soon. 
Yeah, no, he, he got fired by LA a couple of years ago. Um, and he's just a very successful coach. I think, you know, you look at Quin, uh, kind of Quinville going to uh, Florida. It's just like these, these very, you know, well-respected Hall of Fame coaches, you know, making a couple of pit stops before, you know, they eventually retire. And it'll be interesting to see what Sutter's able to do with this, you know, sort of struggling Flames team. Jeff Ward had a 35-26-5 record uh, with the Calgary Flames. And to be honest, I didn't really see Jeff Ward as the as the winning coach, as the coach that's going to be remembered for leading his team to a Stanley Cup. Uh, I never really saw that. That you know, I think the Flames and Ward they kind of lost their identity there uh, for for you know a couple games this season. So I think this is a good good decision by Brad Tree Living. No, I agree. And you know, another point to make is. Or, or, you know, is the Ottawa Senators, are they coach killers? You know, they, they've kind of ruined two franchises there, both in Montreal and Calgary. So I think that's kind of a funny point to uh, bring up. Yeah, you know, the Canucks could be next, but I, I think Travis Green will stay there. Taylor Hall is willing to sign a mid-range extension with the Buffalo Sabres in the offseason. And, you know, he's having a brutal year statistical-wise. But, you know, maybe if I were Taylor Hall it would be good to kind of get, you know, treated at the deadline, try and win a cup. And then if you're so interested in Buffalo, sign with them in the off season. Yeah. You know, maybe they could move him for some assets at the deadline. However, you know, I think just for Buffalo, he, he is a piece that they kind of built, not build around, but you know, he's just, you know, something to have. I think he, despite having a bad season is a top six forward in the league. And, you know, you look at the Skinner contract, uh, and, and it's a bad contract, but it's a result of Skinner having an incredible contract year and then paying him for what he was able to provide. So hopefully now that Hall is having, you know, a bit of a struggling year when his contract is up, they can get him at maybe may, maybe a bit of a discount for what Taylor Hall is going to bring to the table. Alexi Lafreniere is starting to heat up. Currently in his last five games, he has four points uh, in his last five games. So, you know, it's good for the kid. He's starting to that, to get that confidence back up again. And, you know, it's good to see results from a first overall pick. Exactly. Last season, you know, Capo Caco just kind of had a tough stretch for the whole year. Uh, and Lafreniere was having that to begin. However, now he started to pick things up. So it's just nice to see. Tom Wilson, uh, you know, gave a direct headshot to Brandon Carlo, and he was awarded with a seven-game suspension. And I think this is uh, fair to say. However, uh, to respect both sides, I think, you know, Wilson hit the head of Carlo, but there's actually a different angle where it shows that, you know, Wilson uh, is trying to finish through the body um, of Brandon Carlo there. But I think it was a headshot, and I'm, I'm okay with the suspension. Yeah, I'm fine with it. Just because, you know, Tom Wilson, a repeat offender, just kind of, you know, what he brings to the table. It's not, you know, out of the blue to, you know, think that he had bad intentions going in to make that hit. And it's just, you know, kind of a message to the league. And I think seven games is definitely fair. But what's weird about it is that uh, he was assessed for um, boarding. You know, he, he wasn't even uh, assessed for illegal check to the head, which is, you know, kind of odd in my opinion, since, uh, you know, my, you know, I think that it was an illegal hit to the head. So, uh, you know, I think the NHL uh, also has to kind of change the rule there. Uh, not only that, but uh, in the in the eyes of the league, in the eyes of the rule there, uh, Tom Wilson is not considered a repeat offender because 
uh, so much time has passed from his last suspension. So, you know, there's so much gray area in a league where they're trying to eliminate uh, hits like that. And they need, and hopefully the seven games will be a definite change to that. Yeah, and seven games in a 56-game season as well is, you know, more more than it would be, you know, in an 82-game season. So I think, you know, the suspension is fair. I just want to appreciate the Chicago Blackhawks and what they've accomplished. Uh, They're definitely a wagon for sure. Uh, you know, they have done this without Kirby Doc, their, you know, top three pick. They've done this without Jonathan Taves. Uh, and, you know, the list of injuries goes on, but those are two notable ones. Patrick Kane is making a solid case for MVP this season, in my opinion. Yeah, I think if the Blackhawks can get into the playoffs, I think Kane is definitely one of the top guys for the heart, just because, you know, what he's been able to do. And, you know, the skill has always been there. That's been known with Patrick Kane. However, it's it's kind of the leadership mentality that he's had to take on now that, you know, Taves, you know, is no longer playing uh, with the Blackhawks at the moment. So I think it's just been a great season for Kane, and I hope he continues it. John Tortorella wants a rule in place uh, where during a timeout, the arena can't play music. And he cites that he has to yell to his players on uh, what the play is, what he wants to draw up. And I'm actually fine with this because I know at Hayden Games, uh, you know, we would play music and then the coaches would tell us to tone it down a bit just so they can give instruction. And I'm, I, I think this, there's no really wrong side to this. I'm actually in favor of this rule change. No, exactly. I think I'm on Torts' side. However, you know, I don't think the music has any impact. I think he's going to be yelling at his players regardless of, you know, what, how much sound is in the arena. He does seem like the coach to always yell at his players. Yeah, you know, he's got to get his message across somehow. Grigory Denisenko, uh, one of the young players for that Florida team, made his NHL debut on Saturday. And, you know, I thought that we're finally getting a glimpse of uh, you know, who this Denisenko guy is, because I'm pretty sure he was passed up in the draft because of his KHL contract. I could be wrong, though. Uh, I'm not too sure on that. But uh, nonetheless, it's great to see another rookie make his NHL debut during the season. Yeah, you know, like you say with the talent, uh, talent-wise, he was one of the top players in his draft, but ended up going first round still. But, you know, maybe just a little bit of a Russian issue that, uh, you know, allowed him to go to the Panthers. And I think he's a solid player. And Hopefully he can grow into a nice top six piece for this Panthers team. DeBoer said uh, during a presser on Saturday that the hotel Vegas was staying at on Friday night actually declared bankruptcy. Uh, so that's very, a very odd story to tell the media. And he said that, uh, you know, the Golden Knights had to change hotels after their pregame meal on Saturday morning. So, uh, you know, it's very... You know, that's such a very odd circumstance because in the protocols, it says that, you know, the, the teams can only book one hotel. So technically, you could argue that Vegas broke the protocols, but they had to anyway because of how the hotel they were staying at declared bankruptcy. Yeah, it would have been tough if they got sent into a, you know, 14-day quarantine because of the switching their hotels, uh, you know, all respects to that hotel. Uh, hopefully they can somehow get themselves back on their feet after declaring bankruptcy. Uh, not too not too familiar, but, you know, maybe. Uh, I'm not sure if it was, was it in Vegas? Was it in Las Vegas? It, it, was, it was in San Jose. In San Jose, okay. So, yeah, I mean, a hotel in Vegas going bankrupt, you know, I, I don't Very think Very ironic. Yeah, no, exactly. Just, you know, su such an incredible city. 
And this po this made me think on you know on Saturday here that you know the Islanders in Washington are they really legit because they're actually ten zero and one versus the Sabers and a lot of people made the point to me uh, in the East Coast here uh, that Montreal they're not legit because they haven't won against Toronto they they have a losing streak against Ottawa they you know the majority of their games they won against Vancouver well I mean I can make the same argument for the Islanders and you know the Capitals however. Uh, that East division seems really tough because you have to go up against the Penguins. And, okay, so you got Crosby and Malkin to go through. And even, uh, you know, Tristan Jari, who's uh, making a really good, you know, having a really good season this year. Okay, so then now you have to go through Philadelphia. All right, so that's Giroux, Konechny, Couturier, Voracek, and as well as Carter Hart. So, you know, it's, it's a topic that really made me think, like, you know, how elevated, how, how, how much waiting do these teams have when they're playing a bottom feeder team like the Sabres and they're doing really well against? Yeah, you know, it's just been, you know, beneficial because of the schedule that they've had so far. Uh, but I do think, you know, both of those teams respectively are solid teams. Uh, you know, the Capitals especially, you know, just so much talent and what they've been able to do this season with everything that's happened with, you know, goaltending situation and COVID. Uh, but, you know, the Islanders as well, they, they've looked amazing against Buffalo. Even though it is Buffalo, they've just been able to, you know, make the Sabres, you know, their, their, their little pet kind of thing. Sabres aren't able to get anything against them. And, you know, I guess this brings up the, the record here. I don't have it written down, but I saw a tweet yesterday saying that the Devils are 3-0-1, I believe, against the Bruins. So it seems like, you know, these bottom feeder teams are, are you know, having – making – uh, you know, like Boston and Washington play as hard as possible against them, kind of like what Ottawa is doing in the North Division. Yeah, like last year, you know, Montreal lost four games to the Detroit Red Wings. It's just kind of like, it's just kind of like a, you know, it's it's a lot about the mindset, you know, when you're going into play against the Tampa Bay team, you know, you're going to have to play your best game to win. However, when you're playing against, you know, a Buffalo or an Ottawa, you know, there's a little bit of a different mindset and sometimes it can get out of hand and, you know, teams can, you know, underprepare because they are an NHL team. And and, like and, and, sorry. The Devils, like you said, I you mentioned against yeah. the Bruins, 3-0-1, really good. U.S. players are getting vaccinated and, you know, the vaccination plan for the United States has accelerated uh, more so than the NHL had thought. So it's good to see that players playing on American teams are getting the vaccine for COVID-19. And, you know, who knows, you know, who knows how much different it will be come June or come the playoffs. I'm excited to see, uh, you know, maybe we'll see increase in fan capacity for some, are for some arenas. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, with the Bills, they didn't have fans in the regular season, but, you know, they were granted from New York to get fans for the playoffs. Uh, and it did somewhat make an impact, you know, uh, against the Ravens. They were able to pick up that win. Apparently the crowd was too loud for the Ravens center. Uh, but just, you know, fans in general, you just want to have them back in the arena, you know, just because they're such a part of the game. Exactly. And, you know, I think there really is a missing element to not having fans in the stands. And I think the players really do feel, uh, you know, the absence of fans and, you know, the injected crowd noise really doesn't make up for the loss of it. Yeah, no, the, the, the crowd noise is more for the fans at home to just kind of have, you know, a little bit of an element of, you know, still watching the game. But, you know, just the physical fans, just, you know, 19,000 people in an arena, you, you can't beat it. 
So I kind of ripped on Anaheim earlier in this episode, and uh, I guess I should say that, you know, Anaheim is getting solid goaltending with Gibson and Miller. I thought Miller played phenomenal on uh, Saturday uh, or whatever the Ducks played Colorado, uh, you know, and I they just can't put the puck in the back of the net. Uh, you know, that's been one of the struggles for the Ducks this season, and that's why they kind of promoted Zegers is to hopefully increase the goal score. Yeah, they promoted him and then they scratched him. Um, it was kind of odd. Just, you know, the offense hasn't been able to get rolling. But, you know, uh, against uh, the Avalanche, you know, it, it wasn't Grubauer in net. It was it was Miska. But, you know, they were able to generate five goals, which is, you know, an, an anomaly for this Anaheim Ducks team. So hopefully they're able to build off of it and give, you know, you know Gibson and Miller a little bit more of a break because they've been solid all year. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Ducks are second last in the league, averaging 2.16 goals four per game. And, you know, I think that that contributes to just the lack of goal scoring they have. And it sucks to see because, you know, Gibson and Miller or, you know, Gibson is a, is a star. He's locked up for the next six or seven years in that Anaheim Ducks team. And hopefully they do get this goal scoring issue figured out. Yeah, hopefully at some point in that contract, you know, John Gibson is playing, you know, crucial playoff games for the Ducks. You know, they made a run in 2017. Uh, you know, they were in their conference finals against Nashville. Uh, but just since then, things have seemed to, you know, go down for the Anaheim Ducks. You kind of expected this, uh, you know, after going pointless in three straight games, McDavid posted a 3.9 in the Battle of Alberta, which actually featured two fights. Uh, I thought that was kind of uh, old school and, uh, you know, it was uh, Lucic versus Nurse and the James with the real deal Neil versus, you know, Mac and Chuck. And I never knew uh, Neil as a fighter. Uh, that's kind of an odd one uh, yeah. for me to see for sure. But uh, this is McDavid's sixth game this season with three plus points. So it's good to see uh, him get back on the score sheet after having a frustrating series against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, I'm sure it was super frustrating for McDavid, uh, and it's nice for him to get back on track. You know, we're playing Ottawa. You know, we're, we're recording this on Monday, so the Oilers are playing Ottawa tonight. And by the time that this episode comes out, you know, McDavid might have had a crazy night. Uh, but I think, you know, getting the confidence back against Calgary is huge. And like you mentioned with the two fights and the bit of old-school game, you know, the Oilers' flames, they're always going to put on a show, no matter if it's a blowout or a close game. It's just always something to tune into. Marc-Andre Fleury recorded his 65th career shutout. He passes Henrik Lundqvist, uh, who had 64 for sole possession of 16th all-time. And he actually has the most shutouts all-time all among active goalies. So I thought that was a kind of a neat stat to throw in there. And, you know, it's really kind of like the icing on the cake for such a great season for Fleury. Yeah, you know, it just goes to show there is a risk when you take a goalie number one overall. You can get a Rick Pietro like the Islanders did. Or, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury went first overall in 2003, and he's just, you know, lived up to every expectation and been a Hall of Famer, you know, no doubt. On Sunday, Keith Yandel reached his 1,000th career game against none other than the Arizona Coyotes. Or, no, that could be wrong. Um, anyway, I, I thought that, uh, you know, Keith Yandel, he's been a mainstay in the NHL. He's actually third all-time in the Ironman streak with 890 consecutive games. 
Yeah, he's just been an Iron Man. And, you know, this season, you know, early in the season, there was rumors maybe he gets traded or scratched. But it's nice to be able, you know, that he's, you know, kind of got his spot back in the lineup and he's able to, you know, make an impact for the Panthers. That game was against Carolina. So my mistake, uh, I must have gotten Arizona as I was typing it down because Keith Yandel played for the Coyotes for so long. And, uh, you know, yeah. I, I just thought that it's, it's just like, you know, it's great to see these players accomplish this, but it sucks to have it in a pandemic ridden season because, you know, the family can't even come out and celebrate with him. Yeah, exactly. You know, a thousandth game is just such a such a big thing around the league. You know, to be able to play a thousand games is crazy. And, you know, it's a big, you know, pregame celebration. The silver stick, I believe, is, you know, what they receive. And it was just unfortunate he was, wasn't able to get, you know, the true experience. One line combination that I think is really working out well, and this is for the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Jared McCann, Evgeny, Gino Malkin, and Kasperi Kapanen line has 16 points combined over the last five games. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is a great second line. They have great chemistry together, and it's a great line to throw out after Crosby's line. And, you know, the Penguins, I think, are realizing that they don't have to rely on Sid and Gino playing together since they have this depth scoring coming. No, exactly. And it's huge for the Penguins. You know, Crosby, you know, even if he doesn't get a point every game, he's going to, you know, likely be the best player on the ice when his line is out there. So there's just so much of an impact that he brings. And it's it's really nice when the second line is able, like you said, 16 points combined in five games. You know, that's that's just a lot of offense being generated and giving them the best chance, you know, to win games. Time for Pegs' predictions. I went five and three last week. So this week, I'm going to bet on the Penguins beating the Rangers, the Bruins over the Islanders, the Flyers over the Sabres, the Capitals over the Devils, the Hurricanes over the Predators, Panthers over the Blue Jackets, the Jets over the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Lightning over the Red Wings, and the Blackhawks over the Dallas Stars. So, you know, I went 7-1 and one last week. I mentioned before we started recording. Unfortunately, I picked the Sabres last week, so I could have gone 8-0, but that was, uh, you know, unfortunately stopped. This week, I'll, I'll go with a bit of an upset. I'll say the Rangers over the Penguins. They've been playing pretty well lately, and although the Penguins have been playing as well, I'm just getting a weird feeling, you know, the Rangers are going to win that one. Uh, I'll, go with the, uh, I'll go with the Leafs over the Jets. I think they do rebound, uh, you know, from their little bit of a, you know, stink against the Canucks. Uh, I'll go with the Islanders over the Bruins. I'll go with the Panthers over the Blue Jackets. I'll go with the Stars over the Blackhawks. I'll go with the Hurricanes over the Predators. Um, Capitals over Devils. Uh, Lightning over Red Wings. And, you know, let's keep it going. I'll go with the Sabres over the Flyers in that one. You know, they got to end this losing streak at some point, right? Yeah, hopefully. And, you know, that, that can put me ahead of you if I get that one and you don't. Well, I'd like to thank again Nolan Thode for joining me on another weekly edition of Down to the Wire. Thanks for having me, Pags.